This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Manage Smarter Podcast. You know, Lee, we ask a lot of questions around here on this show over the past two seasons. Well, I think that's our job, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and curiosity is a good thing. If you ask a lot of questions or you are a lifelong learner, our next guest says- Unless you're a cat. That's not so good. (laughs) Well, not (laughs) always, yeah. Yeah. That's what you want to do. That's what makes great leaders and great managers. Dr. Diane Hamilton, thank you for coming to our microphones. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. I was looking forward to this, Audrey and Lee. It's so nice for you to invite me. Yes. Well, let, um, let me introduce myself. First of all, I'm Audrey Strong. I am the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President, Founder, and everything else at SalesFuel. <laughs> janitor, plumber. Jack uh, whatever Paul. it takes to get the job done. That's what <laughs> yes. I do. So, Dr. Diane Hamilton, let me share a little bit about our guest. She's the founder and CEO of Tenera. She's also a nationally syndicated radio host. She's a keynote speaker and the former MBA program chair at the Forbes School of Business, author of Cracking the Curiosity Code, the key to unlocking human potential, and the creator of the Curiosity Code Index Assessment. And guys, you want to take this. You can take it at curiositycode.com, and we'll explain a little bit about what that is um, during the interview. Uh, She's part of the C-Suite Network, which is how we've come to know her. Um, Also, is part of um, the Jeffrey Hazlett um, group that we're a part of as well, the network, and has shared the stage with other top speakers, including Marshall Goldsmith, Martha Stewart. I could go on and on, but uh, Dr. Hamilton, you think you got enough going on there? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a curious person. I I find it, uh, I get bored easily, so I like to do a lot of different things, but uh, thanks. It does sound like a lot when you put it that way though well and if you follow if you follow her on social media where she's like in different parts of the country like every day so it's fascinating just to kind of watch you go around the world that's right i'm like carmen san diego right exactly right? <laughs> what makes uh, why why is curiosity so valuable for not only our personal lives but our work uh life and careers well isn't that the most important question because yeah. <laughs> you know i think a lot of people recognize the importance of motivation and drive and i think they recognize the importance of creativity engagement you you list all the issues that organizations struggle with in terms of soft skills emotional intelligence that type of thing everything kept coming back you know to motivation and drive of course but then what i found was it goes back even further. It goes back to the spark, the spark of curiosity. And it's been so interesting to have guests on my show who are creativity experts or engagement experts or whatever their you know, collaboration. It doesn't matter what they, their specialty is. If you ask them if what comes first, the, I've never had anybody say it wasn't curiosity. And I think that the problem is, is you know, we give a lot of assessments, we give a lot of training, we do a lot of things but we're not getting right to the root of the, the problem. And if you want to become an innovative company that is highly productive and, you know, everybody's worried about automation taking over jobs and all the things that they're worried about, innovation's never been a bigger buzzword than it is this year, that you really have to get to the root of the problem. And to me, that is curiosity. So, 
Oh, before we've so before we all got into the Zoom room here, Lee and I were talking about your curiosity inhibitors. So give us the four, and then we each guessed which one we think is most um, not popular but prevalent. Oh, you only bring that up because you think you're right. I think I'm right. <laughs> okay, um, but I'm curious. I'm not sure if I'm right. We'll see. Yes. Okay, so. I, I'll Go tell ahead. you what the four things are. What a first okay. little little backstory is. I started to write the book, Cracking the Curiosity Code. And when I was writing the book, I realized that I needed to, to research what holds people back, right? Because it wasn't enough just to talk about, uh, write about or talk about uh, curiosity without determining what we can do to fix it, right? And, and I started to research all these instruments and really all they did was tell you how curious you were and not what was stopping you. And that was what I wanted to do. So I set out and asked thousands of people, did all this research and factor analysis and all this boring statistical stuff. But what I found in the end was the four factors of fate, F-A-T-E, are what impacts curiosity. And that's fear, assumptions, technology, and environment. And I... Uh, I initially was expecting that fear would be the number one thing. Yes, it looks like Audrey from the reaction. No, that was his guess. So he's wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> you only had 25% chance again. Necessarily the top thing that I found. And actually, the, the data is still coming in. So okay. I can give you a total answer to that question. But you'd be surprised at how much assumptions can impact our uh, our. Uh, you know, ability to ask questions and provide data because assumptions are basically that voice in your head, the voice that tells you, I'm not going to be interested in this. But in, in Lee's defense, fear can overlap. We <laughs> 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 be afraid that if we do something, it's going to be made fun of. And, and, you know, so some of these overlap. Yeah. So let's start with fear. Fear, basically, if you look at it, fear is fear of failure, fear of embarrassment, fear of loss control. You think of all the things you fear. Nobody wants to be the person in the meeting asking the questions who would look stupid because they ask something that nobody wants, you know, to answer. or They just don't want to be rejected or unprepared or whatever it is. And so we looked at all these sub factors and we looked at fear and fear was really, actually, if you look at all four of them, they were pretty even. So both of you, Jen, you know, can be right. I would give you both equal. Uh, well, I said environment, but we'll, we'll get to well, that. I, I, but, I was hoping it was environment, but yeah. Well, environment is the biggest for me, I'll tell you, Audrey. So I'll give you that. Okay. So you both won. But <laughs> on assumptions, assumptions, as I said, was this, uh, uh, what we're talking about there is the voice in your head. I'm not going to be interested. It's going to be too much work. Is it really necessary? If I do it, they're going to give me more work and not pay me or whatever it is that you're telling yourself. And you know all those things that we talk ourselves into or out of. And then technology uh, is, you know, we either don't know enough about it or we allow it to, to do stuff for us or we rely you know, on it too much or it becomes too uh, complicated and we become overwhelmed and give up. So there's a lot of things to deal with technology. If you completely just used a calculator and never knew the math behind it, mankind wouldn't probably go too far. We, we need to know the foundational aspects of it. But so we gotta be careful not to rely on it too much, but we really should use it to the greatest advantage because we can find out so much now, I mean, I'd say her name, but she'll turn on in the office here. But my mm. Echo device, I mean, I use it all the time for little things. But we, we have to know the foundation. And then when we talk about environment, Audrey, uh, environment is huge for a lot of people. And for me, it was because I, 
uh, had a very competitive family that was a very strong influence. Um, but it's not just our family. It's, you know, our teachers, our work relationships, our friends, our family, our peers, our uh, social network, everybody influenced us to some extent. Think about when you're a kid, uh, for me, my family was very sports oriented. And if you weren't sports oriented, well, good luck to you because <laughs> that was what everything was. And I was more of a business minded person and nobody else really liked that. And so, you know, I probably would have got into a lot more interesting things to me at a younger age had I had a family who was more like me. But, you know, I think as we get older, we meet people, we have mentorships, we have people who sponsor us, we have different things who allow us to explore areas that can, can help us, but we also have people who can limit us. And a lot of us will have friends that we don't want to look dumb or do, you know, not go along with the crowd or, you know, there's all these relationships that can impact us. Even on social media, I mean, if, it, if you don't get likes, I mean, you, you're, you're going to pull that picture down right now, right? Because mm, <laughs> you want everybody to, to yeah. <laughs> embrace what you're into. So it, the it's environment's big. They're, they're all actually very, very close. I was surprised at how close they all came out to me. So I noticed that you list one of the things in environment as a boss. So since this is the Manage Smarter podcast, in what ways can a boss inhibit natural creativity or natural curiosity? Well, I could think of a boss I had uh, where I, he, I was given a topic to, to research, uh, to do, a, a task, I should say, to do. And I went up to him and I said, you know, I've never done that before. And I wanted to talk to him about how to do it. And he looked at me and he said, well, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Wow. <laughs> because, Harsh. Yeah, it was, I was like, I was so dumbfounded that, you know, first of all, it was never required of me to do it. And so I you know, never thought it would be a problem to say that to him. I figured he would just tell me how to do it, right? And so later, I remember addressing that with him. I said, you know, you, the way you talk was very unsettling to me because I, I want to make sure that my work is, you know, what you think is appropriate. And, and he goes, well, give me an example. And I told him, I said, you said that to me. And, he, and you could tell it had not even occurred to him mm. that that was a bad thing to say. It wasn't even on his list, in his radar. And people say things that they don't even really necessarily mean. You know, what he's thinking maybe is that, I can't believe our company hasn't taught her. You know, we should have had better training. He's not maybe necessarily blaming me. But you can shut somebody down so quickly, mm -hmm. not even be aware of it. I had a boss that I asked, question, I asked a question of uh, because I was curious about the way something was working in the company. And he, one of his favorite lines to me was, was like, that information is on a need to know basis and you don't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> one sentence. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, <laughs> all right. So let's embrace status quo thinking because that's where you're going to end up. You know what I mean? And that's the problem. You know, I, I gave uh, a couple examples in my book about companies who really went above and beyond to think outside the box and allow uh curiosity to improve things. A hospital in London, for example, was having difficulty transferring patients and being really efficient. And they couldn't solve the problem. They really were trying everything. And one of the leaders in the company went uh, to a Formula One race event and watched mm -hmm. them take the tires off and redo the car in seven seconds. And he's thinking, how can they do that? And we can't move a patient from here to here, basically. And he thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to have them come back and just look at what we're doing? And he did, and they, they looked at what they were doing and actually helped them improve their efficiency by 50%. Wow. So 
as yeah, you know, so we, we think about don't, you know, we worry about silos, we worry about thinking outside of our cubicle and our teams and our silos, but we can think outside of our organization and our industry. If we think about the potential. I mean, there's a lot of examples of Colgate trying to get the fluoride uh, to work that they thought it was a chemistry problem, but it's really a physics problem. And if you only think of it in the one way, the one place that you're supposed to look for something, you're, you're limiting yourself. So I'm trying to open up people's minds to some potential potential. And sometimes it's really good to bring in somebody who's not totally not related to the project at all as a second as another set of eyes because they're looking at it from a totally different perspective and the people that are immersed like and for example code when you're writing code for programming and stuff and and the geeks will be in there and they'll be pouring over and and they'll miss something that i'll walk right in it's so obvious oh yeah what does that what that, that that line here doesn't make any sense to me why is that in there it's like oh Great. It's like, it's like, I've been looking at this code for three hours and we haven't been able to figure it out. And like, you just come waltz right in there and point it out. It's like, well, the fresh eyes thing is definitely a, you know, a definite thing. You're not coming in with baggage either. It's, it's kind of like with golf, you know, if you try to, to take golf lessons, if you've never played before and you start from scratch, you got a lot better chance of fixing that golf swing than if you're trying to <laughs> <laughs> fix that one you've uh, had in the past. But it's like a puzzle. Have you ever looked at a puzzle forever and it's just right in front of you, the piece that fits, <laughs> but you, you just looked at it too long. Sometimes you do need that uh, fresh perspective. And that's why uh, management and leadership consultants are so popular because you do, you get fresh eyes. I kind of think of curiosity as sort of like an engine. Um, and I, I, in my mind, that's how I see it. And so when I look at fear, technology, assumptions, and environment, um, these inhibitors, so for our management audience, um, I feel like it's the, it's the go-getter employee versus what I call the no-getter. <laughs> um, so, and, and a particularly in older workers, when you say, you say your research shows that our curiosity wanes as we age, what is your advice to our audience about how to turn a no-getter into a go-getter? Well, as you guys know, you, the uh, culture of a company starts at the top. And a lot of these no-getters, no matter what their age, is due to the culture that's been embraced by the, the organization. I've had Francesca Gino on my show, the Harvard professor. You know, you probably saw her articles going around. There's a lot of articles going around right now about how they say they want a culture of curiosity, but then they don't really reward for it. So we really need to reward uh, curious behavior, and maybe the older employees have gone so many years of not being rewarded that they you might notice it more in them. Okay. That you know is a problem, but uh, you know we're finding that if you could develop curiosity, it's actually good for your health. As you're thinking about getting older, they said they. Uh, some of my research found you could live 30% longer. You're also getting the dopamine effect of curiosity, so you're feeling better. So there's health rewards. There's there's rewards at work for being promoted. There's innovative ideas. That, you know, there's just so many different things that tie into curiosity. And actually, I'm going to be speaking about it at SHRM this summer because we um, are on uh, SHRM for recertification credit with our Curiosity Code Index Assessment. And so I've got one of the mega sessions. Uh, going to be really exciting to talk to so many thousands of people about, you know, the value of improving curiosity and how HR and leadership consultants can, you know, become certified to give the CCI and uh, get their organizations much more curious because it all ties back to the bottom line. Everybody wants to make more money. Everybody wants to be more engaged. Everybody wants to enjoy what they're doing and they should. How can a leader or a manager model 
better curiosity uh, for their team so that their, their team then pick the, picks up on that and becomes more curious themselves. Well, you know, I had uh, Keith Kroc actually wrote the foreword for my book, and he's the billionaire genius behind DocuSign IPO that just went, you know, IPO. Yep. And uh, he's a good friend. I'm on the board of advisors for DocuSign. He's the nicest guy. And he actually represents what I think a lot of leaders could could really emulate. He admits he doesn't know everything. He surrounds himself with people who are really bright, and he makes that very clear. You know, I'm, I am not the best at XYZ and I hired this person for that reason and and I I have a great team and you you support people and you don't do the blowfish thing where you puffer fish thing where you try to seem like you're bigger than you are and you know a lot of leaders do that and a lot of leaders uh, don't let themselves be vulnerable and you have to say okay I, I want a, a culture of curiosity and I'm going to show you by I'm going to start asking questions that I normally wouldn't ask because it would look like what this leader doesn't know everything, you know, and it, it, let them explore the fact that they don't know everything and, and be honest about that. You know, a lot of leaders will just pretend that they know the answers to everything so that not to look bad or lose face. But actually, I think it, the humility is, an, is a definite requirement in, in curiosity. And, uh, you know, I, I had Amy Edmondson talk about the Chilean miners getting them out from underneath the rock in that major catastrophe and how they had to embrace humility and curiosity to work in a really engaged culture. And it's in a state of emergency, people seem to be able to do it. You know, they can, they can give up that uh, ego. And I, we have to be able to recognize that, you know, you're going to cut off your nose to spite your face if you're going to lose the company if, to lack of innovation if you aren't willing to, to show the vulnerability. So the CCI, you can take it on your website, curiositycode.com. We've got just about a minute left with you. It's $49, right? Did I read that correctly? Right. Did right you, now it is, yeah. How long does it take to take it? And, um, we came out at a low price. Yeah. So uh -huh. you want to tell us a little bit more about that? How long does it take for somebody to take it? Um, well, it's very similar to taking like an MBTI, at e, you know, an EQI or a DISC kind of assessment. You take, it's just 32 questions. Okay. You, you get quite a long, good report, similar to what you'd get in one of those assessments, maybe, you know, 20-page report type of thing, depending on how many issues you have. Um, and it basically gives you feedback on each of the nine uh, subcomponents of each of those four factors. So uh, there's 36 questions. I think I said 32, 36 questions. And basically you, you get a action plan for how to move forward with each of the, the, the factors so that you can improve. And it tells you how to make that measurable and make goals to be better. Fantastic. You can get the book on that website too, everybody. And she's at Dr. Diane Hamilton on her Twitter. Uh, Diane, this has been a pleasure. Uh, what, a, what an interesting topic. What unique research. Fascinating. Thank you so much. It's so nice of you to have me on the show, Audrey and Lee. It's so great to uh, see you guys again too. And also Diane's got a great podcast of her own uh, called Take the Lead, uh, where she interviews uh, inspiring individuals who share how they achieve success and how you can too. So I'll give that a listen then. If uh, once you're done listening to all, every episode of Manage Smarter, go over and listen to Take the Lead. <laughs> but not after, not until after. Not that. until. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Great having you. you. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.